Hello, and welcome to another episode of Bitcoin in Asia from Bitcoin Magazine. I'm John Riggins, and our guest this week is Mustafa Yilhan, Global Business Development at China-based Group Bixin. Mustafa was previously Director of Business Development at Hobi and a venture partner at the Hong Kong-based quant fund and finance firm Amber Group. Uh, Bixin is a major player in the mining space with over 300 megawatts and the wallet space with one of the most popular consumer wallets in China and operates a Bitcoin-denominated crypto fund of funds of about 6,000 BTC, uh, among other business lines. At Bixin, Mustafa manages international allocation for that 6,000 BTC fund of funds, as well as its mining operation development outside of China and global partnerships. We discuss the differences between Asia and Western-based hedge funds and quant firms, risk management and allocating capital for Bixin's varied business lines, the trends he is seeing in the mining space, particularly uh, the decentralization of hash power outside of China, and more. It's a good conversation. I hope you enjoy it. Mustafa, welcome to the show. How are you tonight? Hey, John, how are you? I'm good. Um, thank you so much for inviting me. For sure. Excited to talk to you. You're, you're, uh, you have some really cool experience. Um, then to start out, for those who, who aren't familiar with that experience yet, can you um, kind of talk, talk briefly about how you got into Bitcoin, some of the groups you've worked with, and, and where you are now? Sure. Um, I actually started in Bitcoin in 2013, uh, pretty early during my time in college. Um, and in 2017, I became the first employee of Colby Global in the United States. Um, mm. I was basically helping to start an exchange back then called Edgebus, um, which is a Colby uh, US branch, although it was like a very separate entity. Um, I worked there for almost you know six months to a year, and then later on, I went to a Hong Kong quant firm uh, called Amber Group. I worked at Amber as a venture partner for almost a year. And Amber grew like very fast. Uh, we grew from, uh, I think, 15 to 20 people at the early stage to now almost 170 employees full time. And, uh, um, you know, recently Amber just finished uh, a very large fundraising from uh, Paradigm, Pantera, uh, Polychain, Coinbase, yeah. Blockchain.com. Um, so it has been very, very successful. And during this time at Amber, I met the team from BC um, who, was working with Amber at the time and continuously to, to date have a very good relationship with Amber. Um, and at the time, you know, uh, my, the, the BC Mining CEO, uh, Liu Fei, was the previous, my previous uh, supervisor also at Hobi Global. And so mm-hmm. we clicked and uh, I part of my, I'm from a region in China called Xinjiang. And uh, so because of my background and because of my family business in the area, uh, I oftentimes went to Central Asia and the Russia as a kid. Uh, and so yeah. as BC knew our family business relationship there, I they asked me to help, you know, uh, look at the mining farms there. And uh, mm. so um, slowly, you know, I switched from uh, a full-time position at Amber to now uh, a venture partner to full-time position at BC. So now I work at full time at BC and the two main uh, tasks I do at BC is one, uh, looking at fund of funds. Uh, and, and uh, help uh, deploy the capital uh, via our fund of fund. Another one is uh, mining so- mining farm sourcing. So I oftentimes spend time in areas such as Siberia, uh, Central Asia, and the uh, US to help uh, globally do the diligence and the source of mining farms. 
Yeah, super interesting uh, set of experiences there. So your first, first uh, hire in the U.S. at Bowlby is, is a cool thing in itself. Um, I mean, how does that happen right, right uh, at that time? Were you, were you uh, you're just kind of reaching out? Uh, you knew you wanted to work in Bitcoin? <laughs> yeah, so uh, the so uh, like I said, I got into crypto in like 2014. So I was like doing different stuff, um, you know, working with different people and like trading on the side. Um, so one of the my close friends uh, back in college uh, later on became the secretary of board at Hobi after she went back to China uh, mm. because of how early she also got involved in crypto and the uh, crypto communities in China. So uh, back in 2017, uh, she recommended me to the hobby, uh, you know, management, and that's uh, how I landed the job. Yeah, cool, cool. So uh, you picked some good winners, hobby, and uh, then Amber, which you mentioned, is, is, uh, has been growing like crazy and had some, uh, some, some, uh, you know, well-known partners come aboard as, as uh, investors. And now Vishen, um, yeah. that family business. What's, what's the family business that had you running around? Uh, Central Asia and Russia uh, prior to, to prior to Bishan. Right. So my family have been in export and import business for a very long time. And uh, um, actually, I, I speak fluent, uh, almost fluent in Uzbek. And I stayed there mm. as a kid um, in Uzbekistan, in Tashkent. So I'm very familiar with uh, Central Asian culture. And yeah. uh, in addition, you know, I, since I was a kid, I spent a lot of time with my Russian friends also. And so, um, very familiar with both Russia and yeah, uh, very cool. Very Central cool. Asia culture. That, that particular set of skills there. Uzbek is not uh, yeah. probably a, a commonly spoken language around our, our industry. Here. What about uh, Russian? How's your Russian? No, <laughs> uh, no, not good. The Russian is like very, very minimal. <laughs> but luckily, most people I met in Russia have been speaking English. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fair, fair. All right, cool. And then, uh, so you kind of got into what you uh, do, Bishan. You're, you're also head of global business business development. Um, in, in you know, uh, kind of more specifically in, in those um, kind of two things. Can you talk a little bit more about Vision's business overall? Um, some of the wallet sure. mining stuff, just kind of give an overview uh, and then we'll get into some of the stuff that you're more focused on personally. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So Vision mainly have uh, two business. One is called Vision Wallet, another is Vision uh, Finance. On their Vision Wallet, that is what we're mostly known for in uh, Asia. And uh, we have a uh, custody lending OTC uh, payment trading cloud mining as part of the ecosystem. And uh, so it's a pretty complete ecosystem of wallets. And under BCing Finance, we mostly have uh, BCing Mining and a fund of fund. Under BCing Mining, we currently manage roughly around 300 megawatts uh, per hour, which is roughly around 2.5 to 2% of the global Bitcoin uh, network. Uh, we are very early investor of Woods Miner, which is currently one of the largest uh, mm -hmm. mining manufacturer. Um, and the majority of the mining farms and uh, mining equipment are also, you know, uh, directly owned by Bixing as we started mining in 2009. Um, the fund of fund is supported by Bixing's prop capital, uh, currently, uh, which is also under Bixing Finance, which is currently running about 6,600 Bitcoin. Uh, it's 100% Bitcoin denominated, and uh, we uh, currently mostly uh, invest in quant funds in Asia, US, and the European regions. Um, so, the, and and you know, I think last year we actually started the fund last year, um, early last year, but announced it uh, this year because we wanted mm -hmm. to get more uh, global 
presence and wanted to invest in more uh, global quantum. Yeah, interesting. So 6,000 Bitcoins, uh, 60 million bucks uh, hereabouts. Um, and you manage kind of the allocation of that, of those funds and the risk management of where it's going. Um, what's, what's that process been like? Uh, you mentioned that you all kind of mostly uh, in the beginning were um, putting it to work with uh, Asian hedge funds, Asian quant funds. Uh, what's what are you seeing in like in terms of like the the offerings over over there and what's uh, what's around over here? You wanted to spread it out a little bit, make your make uh, you know a presence more known uh, globally. You said yeah. with the announcement this year, what 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 have you seen just in terms of uh, the quality of the teams? What's offered? How how the uh, results have been? Yeah, that's a very very interesting question. Um, so you know when we invest in Asia, we mostly see funds that are doing arbitrage. And uh, also, we're also seeing a lot of high-frequency liquidity provision strategies. Um, and those are kind of relatively safe uh, strategies, which is um, some strategies we see very common in Asia. Like also BTC denominated, I think is very uh, much more common in Asia compared to Western managers, which I'll explain why uh, very soon. So starting this year January we have looked at a lot more funds from Europe and the uh, uh, US regions and if anyone is listening uh, when, when anyone listens to this podcast and if you are a quant fund uh, please uh, happy to uh, reach out to us um, there you go but when we look at <laughs> so when we look at the uh, western managers um, I think a lot of them come from a very institutional background um, a lot of them come from investment banks or traditional trading desks and they're very used to USD-denominated terms. So it has been a challenge for us to find more BTC-denominated terms. And I think part of the reason is because um, the Western institute, Western managers, their investors are mostly institutional investors. Mm-hmm. And I think institutions are slowly still are counting their profits in USD. Bitcoin. <laughs> correct, correct, yes. So most of them are still counting their profit in USD. And so I think that's why the managers mostly designed in that way. Um, but, you know, within the past six months, even we started to see some of the funds switching to Bitcoin and then it started to, to reach back out to us regarding to uh, and telling us their new offerings. Yeah, interesting. <clears throat> All right. Um, and then uh, back just a, a bit to Bishan's uh, uh, kind of business lines. Um, so. Uh, you mentioned kind of the full stack of of from wallets to mining, all these things. Um, uh, what's the uh, kind of the wallet? I guess starting out mainly to kind of uh, serve those miners and kind of uh, be a, be a part of that stack. Uh, what's what's kind of the competitive landscape of of uh, that wallet business over there now? Or, or uh, you know, and, and how it fits, talk a little bit more how it fits into the mining offerings and, and uh, kind of what the synergies are there with that stack that, that y'all um, operate. Sure, so in the beginning uh, of the world industry, I think we had already seen some, uh, mostly seen on-chain wallets, but later also a lot of uh, mixation of on-chain and off-chain wallets uh, with the main purpose of actually serving miners at, at the early age. And I think um, a difference between West and the uh, uh, custodial, that, non-custodial, another yeah, way of yeah. saying that. Correct, correct. And, and and so one of the main thing I personally saw in Asia is um, I think in Asia people care much more about user 
user experience. Um, and I mean, obviously they care about safety, but user experience always is like a very important component when designing uh, wallets. And, uh, and also in recent years, one of the new trends we see is hardware wallet in Asia too. Um, so, you know, at the beginning, we started to see more off-chain wallets who are, which are designed very uh, user-friendly. Um, and now we actually started to see major wallet companies, even um, including us, uh, we started to publish hardware wallet, which we will you know, publish to the market very soon. But a lot of our you know, colleagues in the market are also doing the same thing. Um, mm -hmm. Other than that, I think lots of platforms in the market are also pushing out their own wallets. Um, for example, after Pool have Kobo, Bitmain, Matrix Port, uh, Pool and also started to have their own wallet, Binance acquired Trust Wallet. And inside this wallet, right, they're providing a variety of financial services. Um, and just take BC, for example, we now currently offer, uh, as we mentioned earlier, lending costs, they call mining escrow, uh, even option trading, OTC, all inside our wallet. So I think wallets uh, offering are getting a lot more diversified as a one-stop shop. And um, the way I see it is almost becoming like a broker in this ecosystem by mm -hmm. streaming, not, uh, not only putting the service to itself, but also streaming services uh, from other parties or, um, you know, building a tunnel with uh, third party service providers. Yeah, that's so interesting. I think that's where I see the trend is going. Yeah. So is that something that you are doing now? Yeah. You have third-party uh, financial kind of offerings inside your uh, custodial wallet as options for users. Um, so so uh, so one of the things we're working with third party is on the payment. So we also have payment inside our wallet stream. So as we have mm -hmm. such large uh, user base in Asia, uh, what we're doing is that we're trying to encourage people to be more BTC denominated. And one of the things they can do right now is to uh, purchase, um, you know, goods on our uh, merchant site uh, inside the wallet uh, using crypto. And I mean, mm -hmm. right now they can do it with USDS, which is a stable token issued by BCM that is 100% backed by Bitcoin. Um, mm -hmm. And so, uh, so people can actually now um, purchase uh, stuff through third-party merchants inside wallet. Very cool. Good example. Um, and then, uh, so that's that's interesting on, on on the wallet side for sure. Um, kind of the, the trends of uh, a trend on where that's headed a little bit. Um, onto the uh, so the funds that funds that y'all manage uh, and the six thousand BTC. Can you talk a little bit more about uh, you know you kind of talked about some of the differences between uh, Asian and Western managers that you've seen to date. How that's changing a little bit. Can you talk a little bit more about uh, how so you're in charge of that fund can you talk a little bit more about how um how y'all are allocating it to so the risk management that you uh incorporate and um just kind of operationally how how it's uh it's handled sure so on the fun side uh, uh to be honest so we we right now have uh our team both in Asia and uh, me outside of uh, China. And, uh, you know, I, I'm mostly in charge of helping to uh, source and helping to allocate to the funds outside of China, mainly in the U.S. Got and uh, uh, Europe. And we also have team in um, China. 
um, uh, on the risk management side, um, so within each different business sector, our mining wallet uh, and the fund of fund, we have completely different risk management system and a separate financial yeah. um, to 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 keep you to to mostly keep users from safe on the wallet side. And important distinction to make the there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And 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 on the fund of fund side, uh, I think our largest concern is still on the custody. So one of the main thing we do is like we still uh, invest mostly in managed accounts. So the managers basically trade uh, within our own exchange uh, wallet mm. uh, through APIs. Um, so that's how we kind of manage the custody risks. Um, obviously, we have a very um, uh, you know strongly tested due diligence process. Uh, toward the funds that we invest in, um, but I guess that's more toward due diligence. But on the the fund itself, the largest concern is the custody. And uh, right now, you know, managed account is the solution we have found. Yeah, interesting. And uh, again, if you're a, a quant or a hedge fund manager in uh, in Europe or, or North America, South America, let uh, let me stop it now. Uh, <laughs> Thanks, John. <laughs> What are you, are you seeing any trends on the custody side? So it makes sense since what you're doing now. Uh, it's something that a lot of people have talked about working on. Um, you know, you have some of the big players uh, in the U.S. who are you know talking about going public this year that have large custody offerings. What what are you? Just any any general thoughts on kind of where custody is going? What needs to? What other kind of developments need to happen? Yeah. So recently, we have been speaking to some of the largest also player in the market, such as. Um, Fidelity, which we have, you know, tremendous um, respect for them for starting so early, right? Uh, so a large institution, um, they started so early. But even for Fidelity, it took them a while to kind of offer the service publicly. And custody is the is the first service that they have offered uh, publicly to institution. It has been met with, uh, I think, tremendous um, success in, in the market. And I think where we see custody going for sure is uh, it, it, it will be more and more um, mature toward and tailored toward institutional investors. Um, one of the things that I have been kind of seeing from the fund of fund level is that some of the large institutional custody platform might start offering trading on top of the custody solution. So it's mm -hmm. almost like you know, right now we have to ask managers to trade inside the um, our exchange account. But in the future, if the custody platform started to act as a prime broker and offer uh, trading within their own custody on top of their custody solution, uh, mm -hmm. there could be a chance that you know that that could be a future trend in the uh, custody market. Yeah, interesting. And uh, and um, to some of the, some of your other kind of uh, international business development uh, work. So you're you're based in LA now, but you uh, you know you mentioned you spent a lot of time in uh, Central Asia and Russia um, sourcing um, spots for mining. We talked to BitRiver a few weeks ago, who operates out of Siberia. Um, but want to kind of get into your experience a little bit. Um, so you know a Chinese company. You're you're uh, you know I guess looking to diversify some of their uh, you know geographic footprint in terms of where their hash power is. What what was kind of your process for um, starting to look for the right places to source? Just kind of take us through that initial work that you did there um, on the mining side. Sure. So, uh, you know, as mentioned earlier, when we look at the mining opportunity outside of China, 
Um, the first thing we looked at is the electricity surplus area and the waste energy for mining. And uh, one is environmentally friendly, but obviously it's cheaper too. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Uh, so do, and that's one of the and that's one of the reasons you know where China can have such cheap electricity and the concentration of mining in the past is because during the summertime Sichuan region have excessive amount of uh, hydropower uh, mm. where in China we call it like rainy season um, where the cost of electricity can get a lot cheaper compared to winter times. And Sometimes a little too rainy. In fact, this year might be one of those. Have been, yeah, right. <laughs> And, yeah. and like, and in in fact, uh, we have been also paying very close attention to overseas market. Um, so Russia, as an example, have excessive amount of hydropower, and that's because you know in the Soviet Union time they built a lot of infrastructure, um, and now in regions like Siberia they have excessive amount of energy because of hydro stations and Southeast Asia also have excessive amount of hydro and uh, Central Asia have excessive amount of um, thermal energy in some of mm -hmm. the region and I think in the United States uh, we started to see people playing um, mine uh, you know uh, people trading mining almost like energy business now getting into a wholesale market supply and demand side mm -hmm. uh, which is also a trend actually we see in Russia but they're also, you know, trading inside the energy system and then also uh, getting off the grid uh, in some of the cases legally. Uh, um, and so these type of measures are definitely increasing the mining uh, capacity outside of China. In fact, this year we heard from most miners, you know, the, the share of outside of China purchase have, you know, increased quite a lot this year actually. Mm. Uh, and so I think in the coming years, we'll definitely see mining more decentralized outside of China. Yeah, interesting. And uh, so you're, you're based in LA right now, uh, you know, while, uh, at least while COVID uh, life is with us and, and travel is a little bit more difficult. Um, something that, that uh, you know, groups that are set looking and setting up uh, capacity in the US, uh, you know, are bullish on the US for is, you know, maybe the, the uh the contracts and the electricity is a little bit more um uh maybe a little bit more assured a little more consistent uh have, have you done much sourcing out in north america yet uh obviously you've done a lot over in southeast asia i mean in uh, central asia and russia um yeah is that something that you've been looking at in the u.s as a company so so, so absolutely we have we have been looking at the u.s uh, also this year um the I have looked at you know New York, Texas, and like different region also in the U.S. So the trend that we found here is also very interesting, which is yeah. like I mentioned earlier, people started to treat mining almost more like energy business, right? Uh, I give you a few examples. For example, we started we spoke to two companies at least in North America, where they are working with oil companies and then using associated gas coming out from the oil, uh, where we sometimes call these flare gas, to do mining business. And it's one tremendously environmentally friendly to help uh, not to burn that gas, but rather convert it to energy and use it outside. Uh, but two, it can be very relatively cheap um, if, if the, especially if the oil co company already have some excess excess infrastructure in place. Um, also, uh, we started to see a lot of miners in uh, states utilizing supply and demand system on grid. 
So basically that means when the supply is uh, cut off, uh, when the demand is very high on the market, the system operator could potentially significantly reduce the cost or even pay the people, uh, on the, the energy users to stop using energy during a specific time. And this kind of mm. system is almost you know, designed for Bitcoin because you can just simply not even shut off your machine, but shut off your hash power for a few hours and like save, you know, uh, a lot of money and uh, significantly reduce your uh, mining costs. And by the way, this is also the same trend we've been seeing elsewhere, such as uh, Russia, where uh, starting this year, we heard starting to hear more, more, more and more about our uh, mining uh, colleagues there who are doing the uh, same thing. And so, um, and and so, we, so 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 going forward, I think we think that uh, mining could definitely be more and more energy business, uh, which 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 is very exciting trend to see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, more more of an energy business, a little more um, decentralized. All all good things are here. Uh, back to uh, I, I think. Uh, you know, it was, it was, uh, you know, kind of a, I guess with some of your family business, um, maybe you're a little bit more, um, you know, able to, to jump into it, uh, um, with some, some of that experience, but I mean, going out, finding, uh, uh, you know, power plants, finding the right spots in Russia and places like, um, you know, places in, um, Central Asia, uh, for Bishan to, uh, you know, start to expand the mining footprint. Kind of a daunting thing. Uh, talk a little bit about some of the successes you had there. What kind of some of the outcomes of your time were? Um, you know, how much hash power do you have uh, in that part of the world now? Um, and any kind of uh, you know interesting tidbits on uh, the contract process? Uh, you know, any anything that's happened since? I guess. Yeah. So for sure, I, I spent you know almost six months in Siberia and the far east of. Russia in um, in past in past two years um, on off I've been to Moscow a few times and also uh, went to Central Asia to explore. Um, currently, we haven't made any investment on the mining infrastructure in Russia, um, but we have made over um, you know fifty megawatt acquisition in Central Asia, um, mm. and I will tell you. I guess why we haven't made an investment in Russia yet. So Russia has been very interesting to look at, uh, right? This tremendous market. It's, um, people are very uh, also excited about crypto in general, especially the young people in Russia. One of the largest trading volume came from uh, Russia for a lot of major exchanges. And uh, excessive power, you know, it should make sense that the mining should be cheap, right? But after exploring for so long, what we have found is that it's very difficult because the uh, grid system is regulated in Russia. So price of the electricity is you know, strongly regulated in Russia, even in the cheapest region like Siberia, that as you can do four cents um, on the year round basis. And uh, that including the cost of our, uh, you know, moving our infrastructure there, I mean, investing in the infrastructure, moving our team there, moving our machine there, it just didn't make a whole lot of sense to invest mm -hmm. in Russia at four cents per kilowatt hour. Um, but you know, like I said, starting this year, we 
started to hear more and more, more and more miners in Russia also applying supply and demand system. And uh, this has been a trend in Russia. And so mm-hmm. I think it's worth taking a second look at in, in that market. Um, but at least when we looked at it, when I looked at it, I spent a lot of time there, it was quite difficult to navigate on the grid system at, at this regulated price. On the Central Asia side, I, I, unfortunately, I can't disclose which specific country we have investment in, but um, the price of electricity is or, or around, you know, you know, three, three, three cents, um, uh, and this is also a grid price, which is quite cheap. Uh, for sure. And it it does make sense for us to, you know, make some investment there, and so we have made so, but. I think it doesn't matter. Russia, Central Asia, North America are all of the regions that we want to keep an eye for and uh, keep exploring the possibilities. Yeah, makes sense. So uh, 50 megawatts secured in an unknown location in, in Central Asia. I like it. Um, <laughs> uh, I mean, so that's a, you know, a cool bit of uh, things to... Um, you know, have done and then to, to still be working through out of LA. What, what are, uh, just any, so you're out of LA now, you can't move around as much, uh, for the last few months. Um, any other, um, kind of benefits or risks that you've seen kind of associated with, uh, a, a kind of a, a homegrown Chinese company looking to, um, expand a little bit more into the West. Um, what kind of challenges have you seen? What kind of, uh, opportunities have you seen that are unique to that scenario, I guess? Yeah. So one thing I, I absolutely love about crypto is like how global it is. Obviously, I think um, you know I, I I spend my time traveling to so many different places like Turkey, Middle East, uh, Japan, Korea, um, and you know Central Central Asia, Russia, US. Wherever I go, I think if I find the community of crypto people are always so you know welcoming and uh, the bridge is almost immediately filled when you talk about bitcoin right and that almost mm-hmm. became a universal language for everyone there you go. <laughs> and, uh, and and so that have been that part of the community support that we have gotten especially people knowing how ptc denominator and support of vr toward the ecosystem so i think that part have been very very interesting and uh it, it has been tremendous amount of you know uh, support that we have also gotten from the global community to 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 support the ecosystem and but when it comes to actual operation and investment obviously uh, i think the current pandemic and the global macro and the macro political and economical issue are also uh, increasingly affecting the global expansion um for example when we want to invest in uh funds that's much easier right because that doesn't require physical investment on the ground. It's uh, uh, more of building personal relationship, which is and and then speaking to teams and doing due diligence remotely, which is much easier. But when mm-hmm. it comes to investing in the uh, uh, like tens of millions of dollars in an infrastructure in North America or Russia in the current environment, it's a bit difficult. I mean, mm-hmm. you just need to take into consideration of you know the current political environments and uh, sure. logistics and uh, COVID. And so that have, I think, definitely impacted us. Um, and, and, but not just us, but any uh, cross-border uh, businesses. So I think 
right now too, if a miner in North America wants to purchase a full purchase mining machine from, you know, what's miner or big man going to think about so many different things, like how am I going to get my machine here? What's the current tax? Um, are custom going to be a problem? You know, these sure. are the issues that miners are also facing. Yeah. Throwing on tariffs, taking off tariffs at, at uh, no notice on uh, things like mining <laughs> hardware. So yeah, it's a difficult thing to navigate. Uh, but I think mining machine supply have become a problem this year because mm. so many people reached out to us in the US and also in Central Asia or Russia, where we have our network and asking us if we can help them, uh, you know, buy mining machines from Asia and like uh, help them make introduction, et cetera. The problem is the as far as we know, the mining machines are sold out till Q, Q4. And so supply on the market have, became, have, have, I think, became a problem in the, so that's one thing people might be uh, kind of surprised to hear, I guess, especially after hauling, right? Uh, but but it, it has been a major problem right now in the market where the supply side, I mean, we saw like tremendous amount of growth on, on, on you, we're seeing a large growth in North America in the mining sector for sure. But I think how are these business going to get machines is going to be a problem that they will face soon. Interesting. Yeah. As we hit all time uh, high difficulty today. Um, right. <laughs> a, an, a looming shortage of, uh, of hardware uh, to be shipped. Um, all right. Dude, all super interesting. Um, and uh, maybe, you know, you kind of mentioned some of the challenges with the current uh, kind of macro and virus climate. Uh, kind of the next, the rest of the year for, for Bishin, what's, what, uh, any, anything to kind of add on uh, kind of goals rest of the year, uh, things you're all looking to um, have roll out? Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, on, on, I think on the mining sector, we have deployed a new Bitcoin machines. Um, uh, we're in the process of uh, also deploying more. And especially, I think, in the coming winter and the dry season, we're looking forward to further increase our hash power um, mm -hmm. from the current current rate. And uh, on the fund of fund side, you know, as mentioned, we definitely look forward to invest more in the e European and the United States uh, mm -hmm. managers. And... Uh, continue to support the uh, Bitcoin liquidity around the globe. Uh, and then on, on the wallet side, uh, I think one of the things we're most excited about is the payment. Um, so mm -hmm. we have a store now inside Bitcoin Wallet where our users can go in and uh, uh, purchase with Bitcoin denominated uh, currencies. And so we're very excited about that as I think building wallet, our long-term goal is to also create a better ecosystem for Bitcoin and hoping that it, it can become more native in people's daily life. Um, so I think we're all native. We need, we need uh, more of those companies and products. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so I think we're definitely supporting that ecosystem. Um, yeah, so th those are the three things we definitely look forward to toward the end of the year. For sure. Uh, that sounds good, man. Um, and uh, yeah. Usually to close, uh, we do a uh, recommendation. So it can be anything. Uh, you're in LA, but you've uh, you know spent time uh, in other places. It can be someone from Uzbekistan, from uh, you know Beijing. 
anywhere, but just a recommendation, food, uh, restaurant, movie, anything, uh, it could be a cultural thing. What's a recommendation you would have for someone who hasn't been to that area that they should be aware of? Ooh, um, I would say definitely visit Turkey. Um, Turkey. I have visited so many places. It has one of been my one of my favorites. Um, last year we hold a conference. Um, I, w- I was a consultant at Hobby last year still, and then uh, we did a did a conference together in Istanbul called Eurasia Blockchain Week, um, mm-hmm. where we invited you know so many. Uh, very tier one funds and exchanges to Turkey for a visit. And I think everybody absolutely loved it. The amount of culture and uh, excitement there in crypto um, is really surreal. Um, but one of the restaurants I would absolutely recommend there is called Ulu's, Ulu's 29. Um, Ulu's 29. Okay. Yeah, it's on, it's on the hilltop. It's, it's a restaurant during the day, but turning into a club at night. But I think the view is really, really, really amazing. So that that has become one of my favorite restaurants in the world now. All right, I like it. That's a, I'll take that one in the heart myself too. Cool. Uh, talk to uh, uh, Tyler from uh, and, and Joe and his recommendation was uh, the lake, the lake there. So this one's a little bit more exciting. We got a restaurant that turns into a club at night with a nice view. Appreciate uh, appreciate the change up. <laughs> I, I guess I guess one one more thing is like. Even if you're not mining, you should visit Siberia to visit the Baikal Lake. Uh, that that's yeah. amazing. Like that's, a, that's actually what uh, the like river fish. CEO recommended was that lake. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think if you if you go there, drink, uh, eat fish, and drink, drink vodka, and that's something you'll remember for life. <laughs> <laughs> eat fish and drink vodka. It could be yeah. Uh, yeah. All right, man. Good stuff. Uh, awesome. We'll appreciate. Appreciate you hopping on, uh, and uh, may need to do this again when uh, uh, once once that fund of funds is 10x, and y'all are uh, looking to looking to uh, looking for some more strategies. For sure, I definitely look forward to that day. Reminder, all of the content in this episode is for informational purposes only. You should not construe any such information or other material as legal tax, investment, financial, or other advice. Nothing contained in this presentation constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, endorsement, or offer by BTC Media, the Let's Talk Bitcoin Podcast Network, or any third-party service provider to buy or sell any securities or other financial instruments.